Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. In this episode, Craig and I discuss Book 3, Chapters 5-7 through 7, in an episode entitled Wormtongue, a name that is worse than Fatty Bulger. Everybody, welcome back. Elendil! <laughs> wow. That is a solid block on that waveform. I apologize to anybody who was caught off guard by that. Please don't unsubscribe from our podcast based on one idiotic thing <laughs> that we do. If you've made it this far, idiotic things are not new to you. Yeah, okay, fine. That's I'll just be uh, working throughout this entire podcast doing the war cries of the different characters. <laughs> but please face away from the microphone. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one I should memorize. I should memorize Gimli's war cry. Uh, sorry, okay. I'm getting up to the microphone now. I'm going to take this seriously, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, welcome to... My word, we're off to a rip-roaring start. Puberty will hit before the uh, episode for me, I book swear. Book three, chapters five through seven, uh, starring um, King Theoden, Grima Wormtongue. Uh, you you didn't much care for the name Fatty Bulger, but come on, Wormtongue? That's pretty... I have just resigned myself to the fact that there are some names in this series that really... I uh, I'm not sure if he's just... Uh, throwing it away like, ah, sure, bad guy, what's things gross, uh, worm, tongue, yeah, worm tongue, <laughs> Although, that works. Okay, so I did look it up, uh, and a cleft tongue, he mentions a cleft tongue, mm-hmm. yeah, that is real, that is a real thing. Okay. People can have a cleft tongue with two little, you know, or long or little or whatever points at the end. Uh, I know I'm, people do that surgically. I didn't know that people could actually be born with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess they probably would do it surgically. That's disgusting. Um. Anyway, I, I I saw the photos of it on Google, the source of all truth, mm-hmm. and uh, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. For those who wish to be snake-like. <laughs> Show you just how snake-like I can be. Um, so yeah, that's a real thing. So if that was the case with him, if that's a literal thing, then you can see where the name Wormtongue would come into being. Because, well, worm is just an old word for, like, lizard or serpent, right? Mm-hmm. So, it makes sense. It makes very much sense. Who is it? <coughs> Apparently it was nobody. Knock at the door. Phantom. Phantom knocking. Which, by the way, is one word that might be translated from Grima. Grima is an old English word. It's either Old English or Icelandic for mask which is generally how people use it, or it could mean phantom. Mask, helmet, or phantom. That was an incredible way of bringing it all back around. Right. That was impressive. Thank you. Um, my mind is filled with all sorts of useless crap like this. The longer we spent on worm tongue, that would be... Who knows where we could have gone. Yeah, well, all right. Uh, I don't want to go down that road. Um, so I guess uh, we'll get started. I gotta say... Um, I love this section. 
um i yeah i felt like i was uh i i felt like i was finally being propelled through the story you know, I, I wanted to turn the page. I wanted to get to the next part to see what's happening. And this is one instance where Tolkien does write out a battle scene in in fair detail. You know, it's not a blow-by-blow, blow, like, okay, and then this guy got stabbed in the neck. But he does go through and describe the whole scenario, uh, you know, uh, what a, who, what's, what's going on at Helm's Deep. Who gets attacked, where, yeah. where they attack on each of the sections. And he takes the time to actually describe... Mm-hmm. Here's the you know here's this fortress that I'm going to send these people to attack just so that you're aware when I tell you that they're attacking the culvert here this is what I mean right exactly so yeah I, I quite enjoyed that what did you think of this section this is probably going to be the most contentious section because I overall am have been very disappointed oh I'm sorry to hear that uh, why. Actually, <laughs> this this is uh, some blasphemy. I'm I'm going to throw out here early. Okay, I'm, I'm throw this here. I'm really excited. So far in the two towers, I have found the movie to be a more enjoyable experience than the book. Okay, now why? Okay. I thought you might say something like that. That is, in order for me to best describe it, this is. I don't want it to be that I think the book, the writing is bad. Mm-hmm. The especially like the the Battle of Helm's Deep and everything, the book is more impressive. The 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 feat of Helm's Deep is more impressive. The whole all of the events that have led up to this, um, they're very realistic and very you know we get to feel like this could really happen. Mm-hmm. In the films, it's not so much. It's a little bit more of a it's dramatic. It's a oh you know they over oh, they exaggerate some things to add some gravitas and, mm-hmm. and sure. things of like that. Um, but that has lent to a more interesting experience for me to go through these um in this section for example the and i'll we'll come back to this a little bit later with one of my points the king the healing of the king yeah yeah in the film versus in the book oh yeah it's like it is fast in the book i was like oh okay whatever and with the whole helm's deep uh, section here what they pulled off here with the number of men that they had with the you know, kind of the way it's described, is beyond phenomenal and, and miraculous. And miraculous. Right. It's incredible that they've been able that they're able to do this. Um, but that being said, there's just something about the visual of thousands upon thousands there that the film provides. I guess that just made it more of an interesting experience for me. I totally get what you're saying. So, so no, I don't think that's blasphemous at all. I think. Um, uh, as I was reading through it, I know that there are little things uh, that are different. You know, Aomer is not there in the movie. The elves are, which is one of my least favorite things about the films ever. Like, of all three films, that may be my number one. Really? The elves at Helm's Deep. Anyway, that's off on a tangent. So I know that there are little things that are different, but as I was reading it, I, I felt like, wow, they stayed really true to the sequence of events the emotions that people are going through, um, and, you know, they didn't stray from that. He added in, Peter Jackson added in a whole mess of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the the orcs chanting or the explosion doesn't really happen just once. It happens like three times. Yeah. You, know, you get to see it from every angle and, you know, stuff like that. Um, he took some liberty and, and stretched out half of a chapter into 30 minutes of film. Yeah. But, you know, but it stayed very true to... How that half a chapter I went. I kept waiting for right. the line where Legolas rides a shield down a set of stairs and kicks it into an orc's <laughs> neck. 
How can I you so not write that? that happened. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think um you know, half of the audience at that point was cheering and then there was a collective groan from the other half. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he just did that. <laughs> um well cool. Okay, we're gonna get to a lot of this stuff. Um should we go on with the trivia first and yeah, then move on to our twelve points? Let's get into the trivia. All right. So last week I I mm. smacked you around. Yeah, that's a better word. For which I apologize. Um, I know that it was, uh, yeah, last week was a tough trivia. And I apologize to Brian as well. Um, anyway, this week is just you. And it's a much easier, I think, much easier trivia. I intentionally stayed away from too many names. There are a couple in there. I think the first question is a name. But, um, you know, for the, there's some other stuff peppered in. So we'll see how you do. Okay, ready? Yes. Here we go. Theoden's son was killed trying to hold the Fords of Aizen. What was his name? Uh, Theodred? Correct. Legolas and Gimli comfort each other over two places where one or the other doesn't want to go. Where were those places? Uh, do 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 Legolas uh, helped Gimli on the horse? Is that... I'm thinking of, like, geographical locations. Oh, geographical locations. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so Gimli does not want to go into Fangorn. The trees oh, feel very right. threatening, but as an elf, Legolas is more at home in the woods, and so he says, you know, I'll be, I'll be your... I'll be your rock, Gimli. You know? I'll and be then, your everything. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that didn't just happen. I know I'm hallucinating. Okay, um, and then when they go to Helm's Deep... Um, Legolas doesn't... Legolas feels a little uncomfortable, uh, surrounded by so much rock and bare, you know, bare and Gimli's earth. like, this is good earth. Yeah, um, that was his, yeah, that was his spot. So anyway, Gimli never does ride his own horse, but catches rides with three other people. Who are they? Uh, he rides with Legolas once. Mm-hmm. He rides with um, Aomir. Doesn't he? Or Aomir offers. Aomir. And Gandalf. Doesn't he actually ride with Aomir? I think he does. Does he? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll commit to that. So those are my three. Um, good. Now, Simbulmuna. Simbulmuna is a flower that grows in Rohan. What is its rather odd characteristic? Its name? Well, there <laughs> is that. <laughs> uh... Mm, it's an, a pungent flower, I don't know. It grows on the graves of the lords of Rohan. Oh. It only grows where their barrows are. Interesting. Yeah, wouldn't that be kind of a freaky flower? Just a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, so say it with me. Simbulmuna. Simbul? Simbulmuna. Muna. Simbulmuna. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Thumbelina the flower. There we go. Uh, Theoden offers Gandalf a gift as thanks for uh, waking him up or whatever we want, we want to call it. What does Gandalf choose? Shadowfax. Correct. Helm's Deep is what direction from Edoras? Uh, well, I got four chances here. <laughs> you've, got like, you've got like 16. I'm going to go... I'm going to say south. It is, in fact, northwest. Ah. Maps, people. Maps. Could not be more important in this book. Um, On the way to Helm's Deep, everyone seems to want to know where this person is. He's a great captain and actually lives at Helm's Deep, and his name is... (laughs) Erkenbrock. 
<laughs> well, I'm sorry, what was that? Erkenbrick. Erkenbrand. 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 Close enough, I'll give it to you. I would call him Erks. Erky. Erky. True or false, it was raining during the Battle of Helm's Deep. False. True. True. It was what? indeed true. That was not a, oh, wait, yes, an artistic license taken. Because they talk about how when they block up the culvert, the rain comes down and it starts to fill up. Mm. That I remember that now. So, yes, it was true. Who rushes to defend the gate when it's almost broken down by the battering rams? Uh, Aragorn, Eomir, and uh, Gimli. Right, so Eomir and Aragorn first go and they, you know, they knock back a bunch of orcs and then when a bunch of them pop up off the ground, Gimli comes and saves both of their butts. Right. Um, All right, so question number 10, I thought, see, hang on. Well, yeah, we'll do question number 10. Aragorn, during the battle, is waiting for something that is going to give him hope, even if everyone else thinks he's nuts for it. What is he waiting for? I want to say the dawn. Correct. That is that is true. For the dawn. For no man knows what the new day will bring. Or something. I can't remember exactly. If that's not in there, I mean, I'd write that in. That's pretty impressive. Right. That's, that's a nice moment. Uh, so, let's see. You got the dawn. You got... I think uh, I missed... Two. Shadow Facts horses you got six i think six or seven eh, i'll take it you'll take it you want a bonus yes um everyone seems to have a cool nickname in middle earth uh including helm whom helm's deep helm's deep is named after what is his nickname helm hammerhand yes all right i didn't think you were gonna get that one you probably marked that one like oh, Craig's gonna ask me that's, this one for that's sure. a name I better memorize it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, not bad. If if we include the bonus, it's uh, seven or eight points. So much better than last week. A better showing indeed. I hope that uh, yeah, I hope it. The dawn has risen on my trivia. Indeed, whatever that means. Uh, good. So I guess we'll move on into our our twelve points now. I got to tell you, a lot of times with uh, previous sections that we've done, I'll read through and I'll get to the end and, oh, shoot, I only wrote down like two or three things and I've got to struggle to go back and uh, what am I going to talk about? Oh, that was kind of interesting, you know, but it takes a while. This one, man, I had like 15 points by the time I was done with the first two of the three chapters. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was done with all three, I'm sitting on like 18 points uh, to talk about and I've got to narrow this down. I still have them all here in front of me, so I'm going to we'll try see to... see what we get to. I'm not going to talk about all of them. We actually already talked about a couple, like uh, like Grima's name and the cleft tongue. So, anyway, uh, I guess we'll move on to some fun stuff. Uh, including, you already brought it up, the possession in the movie, the possession of Theoden right. by Sauron, which is just not how it is in the book. Uh in the book, it's he's never possessed. He's just misled, right, into thinking that he's kind of old and sickly, and yeah, um, and that all is lost or or nothing. It's not that all is lost. It's that you know there's no problem, right? Yeah. Anyway, what did you think of that? What, what was your impression? Uh, that was one of the points that that led me down the path of like I kept trying to tell myself, you know, it's okay that it's different. Yeah. But that was one of the first points that hit me that I was like. That's better in the movie to me. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that more in the movie. Um, because it gave this... To me, having him be possessed by Saruman allowed him, when he came out, to be a strong king figure. 
uh, it made more sense to me with the way that it's written in the book. I have a hard time visualizing him as this strong, kingly character who really cares for his people. If he was so easily misled by Wormtongue, right? You know, just by being convinced, you know, oh, you know, you're too old or you're too, you know, and it it completely changes his the way he he interacts with people and the way he acts, whatever. To me, the possession says, okay, that's fine. You are now you're free. Now you're free. You can be that strong king. You were just you were caught under a spell. This other one, it's like. Man, you're pretty gullible, aren't you? <laughs> I see what you're saying. I don't know about the gullible thing. I mean, who hasn't ever been taken in by, you know, somebody's wily arguments? If someone approaches me with the name Grima Wormtongue, I generally <laughs> don't bother talking to him for very long. I'm I'm pretty sure that the king never actually called him Wormtongue. Um, but well, now when it, it when we meet Grima, uh, when Gandalf and and Co walk into Metiseld. Um, and we meet Grima. He's described as pale, but with a wise face, um, which I thought was interesting. I marked it down. It's, you know, it, the way that Brad Dourif plays him in the movie, which I think is fantastic. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't trust him right from the start. You look at him and you're like, oh, dude, who would ever listen to you? You're, you know, you're a freaking nature with no eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, he's described as having a wise face. And I would assume that that would extend to being, you know, somebody who looks trustworthy, somebody who, who you know, who you want to listen to, especially if you're the king and, and he's been around for a long time, mm-hmm. you know. So there's the whole thing about being gullible, but um, if if Grima didn't start out that way, if he started out as a loyal subject and only later, you know, became corrupted by Sauron, then wouldn't it be easier for the king to listen to him when he says, oh, no, there is there isn't anything wrong. Sure, there's orcs, but there's always orcs. We don't need to worry about this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can, see, I can see that. Without knowing, I guess, the backstory of Grima Wormtongue, then I guess it doesn't really... Right. Because that's... Grima, son of Galmod. Sorry, Grima, son of Galmod. But... <laughs> if we're talking about backstory. Um, yeah, so for me, I actually like this a little bit more in the book because I, I think it says something a little bit more um, relevant to us. Because I, I agree that in the movie, it's it's great. I like that scene where, you know, Saruman gets cast out by Gandalf and, the, mm-hmm. you know, his unveiling of the robes. It's a fantastic scene. I love it. But, you know, possession by evil white wizards isn't something that I need to worry about on a daily basis. Whereas, you know, uh, detecting counterfeit uh, counsel from, you know, friends and advisors is something that I need to watch out for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything about, every single piece about the book series so Mm -hmm. far is more real and true to our, something that could occur in our lives. Right. The results are not necessarily, you know, results not typical type thing, but <laughs> sure. But the situations are to be in a situation where you're vastly outnumbered by a group, not necessarily fighting for your life. Maybe it's a, you know, a political feeling, a religious feeling, or anything like that, where you're vastly outnumbered mm-hmm. on something. Um, you know, things like that occur every day, and you can take some lessons from there across like that. You know, sure. so this is more real than than the movies, but as an overall experience, still. Sure. I mean, it. I, I think I'm with you. If this were in a movie form and it were just, you know, lifted right off the page onto a movie, it might be kind of a boring movie. Yeah. 
But as a book, you know, I'm not being shepherded. I can stop after a paragraph and think for a second about what, you know, what the author might have been thinking at this point or what he might be trying to say. Mm -hmm. So being able to go at my own pace makes it not boring. It makes it, uh, I I don't want to say exciting, uh, but it, it, it makes it interesting i I guess is Mm -hmm. a a lame but apt word in this instance so uh you go on with your bad self uh start with a question here um and i just may have missed the explanation why doesn't gandalf remember who he is when he first meets aragorn or does he remember and he's just messing with him he says something like he's like yes gandalf that's what they called me right right it's like you don't remember who you are? Right. Well, he does say um, that, you know, I was sent back and uh, I. he says, I've forgotten much of what once was or who I once was or something like that. And he, and he says, but I remember much that I had previously forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know the why. You know, I, I don't understand the mechanics of what happened when Gandalf was resurrected. But uh, but he does give that little tidbit okay. where, you know, he's forgotten some things but remembered some things. So, you know, maybe what maybe some of the things that he remembered were uh, things about things about his previous life of who he is and what his mission really is and mm-hmm. how to stick to that, you know. And so that kind of core of his being has been refreshed. But then some of the periphery, like, you know, what those little hobbits used to call me or, um, you know, what I ate for breakfast last week, you know, some of that stuff has been forgotten. I don't know. That's the best I can do. Then the great philosopher question is, what did Gandalf forget? Uh, who am I? What is truth? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, okay. So, number two for me is... Um, just a, a passage that I really liked. Uh, Gandalf says, um, uh, it, it was not in vain, or no, I think it was Aragorn that might have said it. It was not in vain that the young hobbits came with us, if only for Boromir's sake. Actually, I think it might have been Gandalf. Anyway, uh, so Gandalf said back in Rivendell, if you recall, that friendship may prove to be a more useful uh, it may prove to be more useful than great warriors or weapons. Mm-hmm. Elrond wants to send Glorfindel or whoever else. Um, and Gandalf says, no, let's let Merry and Pippin come. And uh, and it turns out that one thing, I mean, they're useful for a lot as we go through the story, but one thing that they did was provide Boromir with uh, a reason and the ability to try to redeem himself after mm-hmm. his after his fall. Right. Okay. Anyway, I I don't really have any place to go after that. I just really like this idea mm-hmm. that we don't the the thing that seems to make most sense at the time may turn out to be the wrong choice, okay. and and uh, there's no way to predict that. I suppose. Yeah, that's if if you knew you were making the wrong decision, you wouldn't make it. Yeah. So. Well, and speaking of of Marion Pippin being brought against the will of Elrond, um. It says they were, or I think it Gandalf again, they were brought to Fangorn, speaking of Merry and Pippin. Um, and up until now, uh, like we've mentioned, there have been a lot of suggestions of a force for good working behind the scenes to shape events. 
And now finally we get an explicit reference um, without telling us who, who's actually doing the bringing. We're told that they were brought. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the only other explicit reference is when Gandalf tells Frodo that you were meant to have the ring. You know, so meant by whom to have the ring? Or Merry and Pippin were brought by whom to Fangorn Forest? Uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, that's about as explicit as I think we're going to get. But anyway. Okay. Um, point that I wanted to bring up that I thought was kind of interesting. In the Battle of Helm's Deep, the people who are attacking are described... As orcs and hill people. Yes. The Dunlanders. The Dunlanders. Yes. I was not familiar with that idea, but... They all brought banjos. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We're gonna get you! <laughs> get you in your little cave! Um, no, I, I was... Something stroke, uh, struck me as interesting with that. They've talked about how Sar- uh, Sauron is marshalling all of his forces, mm-hmm. taking all the people who will side with him and sending them to battle and everything. This is a group that I have not... That you've never heard never of. Never heard of, never been introduced to or anything. Yeah. But the group that was sent to attack Helm's Deep was sent by Saruman. Correct. So uh, so where did these people come from? Yeah, What's their story? There's this whole other group here, and they respond differently than the orcs do. Like, when they see Aragorn stand up in his kingly way at the top of the Ark, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they kind of cower and look to the sky in doubt and everything, whereas the orcs are just kind of laughing and moving on. There's something different about those people as compared to the orcs. Why are they, you know... What's going on? Yeah, what, why are these... Why is this other grouping there, and what purpose do they serve? Yeah. This is where I really wish that I had a chalkboard for this podcast. Uh, I don't. And so I'm going to have to do the best I can without it. Um, the Dunlanders uh, were basically kicked out by the Rohirrim. The Rohirrim, uh, the horse folk, came down from the north, you know, five, six hundred years ago, whatever it was. They come down from the north. Uh, they help in a war down in Gondor. Uh, and they're instrumental in delivering Gondor from uh, the forces of evil. And as a gift... Gondor gives Rohan to these people. They say, this territory that we possess, it's it's all yours. You know, there's going to be lots of great places to farm. You can uh, hang out with your fo- horses and whatever. Um, well, this, it wasn't empty. It wasn't like there was a vacuum of personless space up here in Rohan. The Dunlanders lived there, <clears throat> along with, you know, some others, but... But they were the most dominant people there at the time. And I guess the folk in Gondor didn't care or know or whatever. And so anyway, they send these horsemen up there and they all settle. So I guess, you know, think like um, the uh, Europeans coming over to the New World. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, peace. We're gonna yeah, we're just going to live here now. This is a nice land. I'll take it. Yeah. And so, and, and that's fine. I mean, to a certain extent, to the victors go the spoils. If you want it, fight me for it. Um, but over, you know, hundreds of years, they're, uh, it, it's festered, mm-hmm. right? And so they're still there, these Dunlanders, they're still there, but they've been shoved to the side and they've gotten more and more pissed off over the next hundred years, hundreds of years. 
And so Saruman takes that and uses it to his advantage. So these are pretty backwoods folk, um, not terribly organized or whatever, you know, so the banjo isn't such a far stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that could be one reason why they haven't gone over to Mordor yet. First of all, they've got to cross Rohan and Gondor to get there. Again, maps, very important <laughs> here. Um, so it would be hard for them to get to Mordor to join up. Uh, and then second of all, they probably just haven't heard what's going on over there. He hasn't sent out anyone to, to contact him. <laughs> right. So Saruman is able to basically say, hey, guess what? I'm going to war with those freaking horse people. Want to go kill a bunch of them? And they're like, heck yeah, I do. And so they all grab their pitchforks and uh, and go to war. Okay. Did, did that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, History of Rohan 101. Um. All right. Anything else on that point or should I move on? No, let's, let's go ahead and move on. Okay. Old word alert. Um, There were a lot of old words in this uh, bunch of chapters. And uh, the reason for that is that we are now in Rohan. And Rohan is basically... um, The Rohirrim are the Anglo-Saxons with horses. Mm -hmm. This is the people that Tolkien studied as a professional for his whole life. Uh, and, And so their language was his area of expertise. And so he used that Old English and basically transplanted it, and that's what the Rohirrim speak. And so we see a lot of these words that he was extremely familiar with. And there goes another point for me, another question. Okay, well, sorry about that. I've got more I can share. Um, Anyway, so, I mean, you see words like, and this isn't necessarily Old English, but sooth. Uh, News from afar is seldom sooth. Mm-hmm. Or truth. I mean, if you read Shakespeare, you probably know that one. Yeah. Um, how about this one? Loth spell. I name you. Did you catch that one? Uh, not. It's not. No. They throw that one right into the movie, and I love it. You wouldn't think that it would work, but it works the way Brad Dorf says it. Um, Loth spell. I name you. Ill news. And ill news is an ill guest. They say. Yeah. Um, so the word, or you're a Broadway fan. Mm-hmm. You know Godspell. Yeah. Godspell is Old English. God spell, mm-hmm. good news yeah. or good story. Huh. Right. Okay. Sa- same word that we use for gospel nowadays. Yeah. Um, so Loth spell is ill news. Bad news. Okay. Bad news. Look at all those magic words making you know, right. sense together. Um, let's see. There's uh, uh, Grima calls Aomer froward. I think it was Grima that called him that. Not forward, but just flip the O and the R. Froward, which means willfully contrary or not easily managed. So all of you with small children now have a new word to add to your vocabulary. Um, all right, here's a couple good phrases. Westu Theoden Hall. Be Theoden Hall. Um, it's when he's waking up, yeah. and, and that's that's how Aomer greets him. Westu Theoden Hall. Um, be the whole Theoden. Um, and then when, uh, what's her name? Eowyn sends him off to war. She says, Ferthu Theoden Hal. Fare thee well, Theoden. Huh. It's just, I mean, that is straight up Old English. He's not making up language here. That's just all that is. Uh, did I ever tell you I took an Old English class in college? I believe you did, yeah. Yeah. Um, why did I do it? Precisely because I'd seen all this stuff in The Lord of the Rings. And I was in the English language major. So I thought, what better chance? 
Um, here's a fun word uh, that is not in the text. Hippophile. Can you guess what that means? Um, there's a side of me that's really wanting to crack a joke right now, but I'm going <laughs> to pass it up. I'm going to let it go and just say, no, I don't know what a hippophile so, is. So uh, Hippodrome is the, is the track where the horses race, right? Right. So a hippophile would be one who loves horses. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, the last one, I guess, that I'll bring up is... Oh, no, it is not the last one. Uh, Coom. Coom or Coom, which is... Uh, it just means valley. And so he uses it a few times when they're at Helm's Deep, like, you know, across the Coom. Mm-hmm. And it just means valley. It's just... A, it's like an old uh, Welsh word. Maybe Celtic, but more likely Welsh. Okay. Coom. Um, so anyway, Tolkien, he often used these old words... Um, and, and he would use words that simply meant uh, what he was naming. So, like, Theoden uh, is just an old English word that means leader of a people or king. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Theoden, his name is his title in the book. Um, let's see. Oh, on their way to Helm's Deep, they come upon a messenger named... It, it looks like Keoril, but you would pronounce it Choril. Mm-hmm. Or, in today's parlance, we'd say Churl. Um, okay, and a, a, a churl is a low class but free landowner. He's the, the in old English, or in Slumber. old England, he would be the he would be the lowest class of free person. Yeah, right. Um, and grima, I already mentioned in in old English, it means mask. Anyway, so Tolkien would use these old words, and he wasn't exactly trying to lend an old feeling to a new work. Not exactly, anyway. But he would insert these words uh, to give them a possible origin story. Mm-hmm. And so it was the same thing he was doing with Elvish. The only difference is that people actually spoke Old English at some point, right? Yeah. And so he would throw in a word like Theoden. And the idea is that, you know, however many hundreds or thousands of years later, when this uh, fake mythology caught up with real England, suddenly they're still using this this word and we detect it in this writing that we find you know so theoden originally was this guy and then his name came to just mean king mm-hmm. right so anyway i find that stuff a lot of fun i'm also a freak of nature <laughs> which i freely acknowledge um but i find this fascinating stuff so that's yeah. it is interesting um yeah. that's all i really had to say about it but at this point the my next point actually hits on it's a it's a pairing of words used um, that I found to be an interesting pairing, um, and it's when Theoden is speaking in Helm's Deep towards the end, and he says something along the lines of, "What can men do against such reckless hate?" Mm, I love that line. Yes, and to me, the phrase "reckless hate" is an odd pairing. Yeah. It's a beautiful pairing, but it's an odd pairing. Okay, explain. So, to in my in my process of thinking here, I'm like, reckless hate to me is this. Uh, just it is it is not a, a point of hate. Most hate is focused on an on an mm-hmm. object, person, idea, something. There is something target of your hate. Reckless hate to me is just a broad sweeping. General hate. Just it's. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that without any, you know, reckless, you know, this this reckless abandon, I will, 
I don't care who it hurts or what happens. Or even what the object is. Yeah, I just want it destroyed. It's not mine. Then I want it gone, whatever. And it's a... That, to me, is very rarely do you see a reckless hate in in things. It's usually a... You know, in most stories, it's you've wronged me or I, I hate your family or I hate your nation or whatever. There's very rarely this entire hatred of all that is all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's... So I think, if I recall correctly, it's Theoden talking at the end of Helm's Deep or in the middle of it when they're being overrun. And uh, I presume he's talking about the orcs that he's watching. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe some of the Dunlanders too, but... Uh, in the case of the orcs, we've been talking about how, just how fallen and evil they are, right? And and isn't that kind of their mo is to hate without you know without prejudice? They just hate. They Even hate each, each other. other. Yeah, yeah, I mean they're always lopping each other's heads off. You know they hate everything mm-hmm. recklessly. I suppose. Um. But yeah, it's a. I I really like that phrase. It stopped me in my tracks when I got to it. Just because, like you said, it's a beautiful little pairing. Yeah, and it's... There are moments, like I said, there's very rarely in life do you see actual examples of reckless hate. But I think that there are times that we can approach it or that we see in our, like, in our day, in our lives and everything. Um, Ooh, I had I thought of one. Sorry, I didn't go ahead. to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, it, but it, it reminds me of... Uh, Tolkien might have been talking about Hitler at this point, or somebody else, but, I mean, probably Hitler. He hated the guy. Yeah. Um, and it there, it's not a perfect correlation, I think, because I think the roles are reversed, where Saruman has, um, he has a very focused plan in his mind, you know, a, and it's the orcs under his command who are reckless in their hatred. Um, I think the roles might be reversed, where I, I wouldn't lay that label on the typical German soldier from everything that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't there. But uh, from the stories that I that I know and that I've heard, Hitler seemed to just hate. He seemed to be a hateful guy mm-hmm. and to kind of hate indiscriminately. And there was one thing that he loved, and that was himself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if that. Or this ideal that he had. Yeah, exactly. You know, he had one ideal, whatever. So, I don't know. and I, I'm not educated enough to say that here's a great parallel, but that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. There there are instances, and I think reckless hate is probably the most, one of the most dangerous uh, hates or versions of hate that could be out there. Purge your hearts, people. Purge your hearts about reckless hate. Mm. Tell someone you love them today. Indeed. Give me a hug. No. Not you. <laughs> I'm talking to our listeners. That's gross. Stop yeah. rubbing your hobbit feet on me. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Which one do I want to do? I've got a lot to choose from. Um, okay. What do we make of this line? I am Gandalf. Gandalf the White. But black is mightier still. I beg your pardon? Black is mightier than white, or black is just mightier than Gandalf the White? Well, in in the context of this story, I believe that he's simply referring to the fact that although I am now the White Wizard, mm-hmm. Sauron is still stronger than I am. I am not stronger than that, or the 
my counterpart on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever the champion would be, I believe the Witch King or maybe whoever, something like I that. I mean, is still technically, you know, is still stronger than me at right now. Uh, it could just be a simple matter of, yeah, I'm I'm awesome, but let's just keep it in check. Just there, there's a couple guys above yeah, me still. I'm not storming Mordor by myself. Yeah. Um. Okay. I guess not much to see there. Move along. Well, I mean, it, it's was that number four or number five for me? I'm not even keeping track. Well, so much sh- for our twelve. That points. should be five for you. For me. Okay. Because yeah, I've got four. Okay. Um. Actually, no. I, I probably not. I think I got it wrong. Uh. I want to touch on a theme that we've hit on in the past. Tolkien trying to be funny. Yes. Okay. There are moments when he tries to be funny, whether it be with just... <laughs> and apparently stuff. it did not work on you. Uh, no, I did find... I think it's very funny. Okay. Um, I've, and it's it translated over into the films and everything. But the whole Gimli and Legolas count. Oh, sure. And we haven't gotten... I think they finalized their count at the beginning of the next chapter. It's like, you know, but yeah, it, that that uh, contest totally happens. Yeah, and it, you sit there, it's like, okay. To me, that was there was two things. One, it's a uh, there's this major battle going on. How many? Let's let's throw a little gotta, humor. Gotta in here. break the tension somehow. Yeah. yeah. The other thing it was is it it led me to be more endeared to both Legolas and Gimli as characters who we kind of get the feeling that you know. We know that they fear things because they're afraid to go into right, right. Fangorn. They're afraid. So they obviously feel fear, but they come into these moments. And I find it interesting that one of their coping mechanisms with dealing with these high-stress situations is to kind of joke around about it. And, you know, there, there's a competition element to it. There's a joke element. Are they, you know, really upset that, you know, Legolas or Gimli is ahead of them or not? Right. Only in the sense that it's, you know, part of their game. Sure. But I think it's, you know, it it was, it's a well-executed bit of humor in there, and it, it definitely gives you a moment to look at these characters and go, yeah, I do that sometimes. You know, when I go to the hospital, I crack all sorts of awkward jokes and oh, things yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I, this is a tense situation for me, and for me, the best way to deal with it is to just kind of create some game or, or thing, you know, just to get people laughing. or. To... You should really hear me on nitrous oxide at the dentist. I'm <laughs> magnificent in my humor. Oh really? No, but I but I'm very loud mouthed at least. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. In fact, uh, that was one of the points that I put down. I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about it, but um, I sometimes when I'm watching the movie, I'm tempted to think that John Rhys Davies uh, played Gimli a little too hard toward the comedic side, and I'm like, man, you're really hamming that joke up, you know. Mm-hmm. And some of them are a little bit uh, over the top, but. Then I go back and read the book, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Gimli really was that funny. He's He cracks tons of jokes. You know, he jokes with Aomer about uh, their little dispute about Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Um, he jokes about not wanting to ride horses. Uh, you know, what was it? Uh, oh, when he goes and saves Aragorn and Aomer, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, I came out of the door, but uh, some of those hillmen looked a little tall for me so i let you guys take care of it and then you know and then when the orcs popped up i was like all right that's more my size here we go so you know he's really funny yeah so i yeah i love that element and i forget about it all the time until i go back and read it well and i think part of the reason that it works so well is essentially legolas and gimli together are the perfect comedy duo team you have it's the straight the, man the tall the tall guy and the short fat guy right? well that but the in, in comedy there's a lot of times you have the straight man who sets up the joke and then you have the guy who delivers the punchline. 
most of the time, and that's usually Gimli. Yeah. Every now and then Legolas has gotten a few. But Legolas, a lot of times, is will deliver some setup for Gimli. And they just work together as a great comedy pairing. I yeah. would go to a comedy club and see these two talk. <laughs> They're the uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 of the series. Reversed, but yes. Or whatever. Um, yeah, well, very good. Uh, I, I like Gimli quite a lot. Um, so, on a more serious note... Uh, Gandalf, when he shows back up, uh, and he's talking to the trio in Fangorn Forest, um, they say, I thought you were Saruman, or something like that, and Gandalf says, indeed, I am Saruman, one might almost say, Saruman as he should have been. Uh, so, how should Saruman have been, is the logical question to ask next, uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Does he just mean a good person? Um... Elsewhere, you know, in the, elsewhere in the, well, he calls it the legendarium. No relation. Some relation, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Mild relation. (laughs) Elsewhere in the legendarium, he mentions that the mission of the wizards uh, is to involve themselves in the affairs of Middle-earth as counselors, movers, and shakers. Um, And Saruman has ended up being static for a long time. He abandons his mission. He's no longer out... Um, involve, involving himself himself in the affairs of the world, mm-hmm. he's trying to set himself up as a player in the affairs of the world, right? Right. Um, and, and so, is that what he's talking about? Like, you know, instead of the white wizard turning inward to himself and his own desires, Gandalf the white wizard is going out and doing what he was supposed to do, what Saruman was supposed to do the whole time. Um, and, uh, you know, and if Gandalf knew this, by the way, and he must have, because they all got sent over at the same time, and they all knew what their mission was, why wouldn't he distrust Saur- Saruman earlier? You know, Saruman is in the White Council you know, for a long time, and uh, they they trust him for a long time, even though he's clearly abandoned his mission. And what about Radagast, who does the same thing, but, you know, is still a, a decent chap, if a bit, you know... Uh, Flighty. Interesting. The whole... Is it? Is it really? I'm not so sure now that I say it. Now that I put it in words, I sound (laughs) bad. No. I do... Actually, I had a similar thought when uh, when I read that line um, about who Saruman... You know, I am Saruman or or as he should have been. Um, I didn't, without knowing all the additional information there. Mm-hmm. To me, it simply meant that Saruman was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to be the Saruman the White, the one that everyone turned to. For right, the, the head of the order. The head of the order. He was the one, and that's what he was supposed to be. And now because he has fallen from grace, he has fallen from that, someone has to fill that void. And so Saruman could almost be... a title quote-unquote type mm, thing yeah, okay. like you know where it's i'm the head i am saruman but i'm right. gandalf i think saruman is a title i think it just means staff man staff man yeah from the oh, crap which language is it? i think it's like from one of the southern peoples of middle earth <laughs> worst comic book character ever <laughs> staff man i am staff man <laughs> <laughs> Here to take care of your HR needs. Wow. 
<laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. That's right. Everyone thought I was going with the stick. Nope. <laughs> Okay. Well, human resources joke. Uh, before we move on to the next point, unless you have anything else to say nope. on it, um, for for bonus points on the quiz, uh, can you tell me where Radagast's dwelling is? I could not not a clue. It's called Rosgobel, and it's in uh, Mirkwood. Oh, yeah. is that why in the Hobbit films he's talking? The says that the rabbits are like Rosgobel rabbits or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but... Okay. okay. <laughs> anyway. All right. You got your last one? Yes, I... Well, I want to talk... I have a couple different points here that I'm going to try and combine into one. I wanted to use <laughs> sure. a bigger word. I wanted to use, like, amalgamate or something, but I didn't think that was the right word. Um, the end of Helm's Deep. There are... There's a discussion with the orcs that Aragorn has. Oh, right, right, yeah. They come up, and he gets up, and he gets to be kingly for a minute there. And, right. Uh, you know, that's when I'm talking about the hill folk kind of cower sure, and look sure. like, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Look at this guy. He looks very, you know, kingly. And the orcs are kind of, you know, doing their hateful thing. I thought that was an awesome moment. There's there's a lot of moments in, in great stories like that where a hero gets to stand up and deliver define that that speech right he, he gets to deliver the a speech. speech yeah you know in independence day we will not go quietly into the night <laughs> it's you know yeah yeah and i think for this in this battle this is aragorn standing up and saying you know look, i'm the king and i'm giving my speech and i thought it was interesting that there was a back and forth most of the time it's a monologue right but there's a back and forth between them that i thought was Interesting that did did you notice that uh, he walks up to the wall and holds out his hand palm outward in token of parley, just like the statues or something. Um, yeah, so it's a token of parley, so they know that he's not there to hurl a spear at them. Right, he's there to say something, and so I I suppose that was an old token of war. Interesting, the palm outward. Don't hit me! Don't <laughs> hit me! And then no. you get an arrow right through it. But I thought it was interesting. He came out and talked, and he's. I'm, I was wondering slightly if he was stalling because he's waiting for dawn, mm. and the whole Ooh, imagery yeah, that's good, of good thought. I hadn't thought of that. The, how much Aragorn is looking forward to the dawn, and this whole imagery of the rise of men. Because when dawn comes, they're going to ride out and and to hear these things. And I'm throwing this in, even though it doesn't really fit very well. The idea of the white rider that comes at dawn, mm, Gandalf yes. coming, mm-hmm. the whole imagery of the white rider is something that is interesting to me and mm-hmm. would love to discuss more why they take to the image of the white rider like what do you mean they put it on a banner do they i, I didn't s- catch that don't they am i, I might have i might have read right past it i swear that they go through and they they say that they're following the like they they start to form this thing around the white rider and it's all about Gandalf, and yeah. it's like why he becomes this the icon for the good, you know. Well, we will learn a little bit more about why people tend to do this around Gandalf uh, at the very, very end, the very bitter end of the trilogy. Okay. So, um, table that thought. Tabled. It's a it's a good thought. Um, do you want me to just tell you, or do you want it to be a huge surprise? No, just tell me. Okay. <laughs> I thought so. Um, if you want this to be a huge surprise, please turn off the podcast now. 
Um, Gandalf is one of the ring bearers. Oh yeah, yeah of the I knew Elvish that. ring. Uh, of the Elvish rings, so he was gifted the Ring of Fire from uh, Círdan, the shipwright, mm-hmm. um, up at the in the Grey Havens a long time ago. So he's given this ring, and the power of this ring, they each kind of have their their own little um, emphasis. And his is uh, the Ring of Fire is able to kindle a fire in the hearts of men and and uh, spur them to action when you know when they might otherwise not be able to do it Hmm. so this would you know this would explain why he has such an effect on theoden when he shows up and says a few words and theoden's like oh yeah you're right i should cast off all of this ridiculous old man stuff okay so so he's you know he's riding around the shire he's going to rivendell he's going to you know all these different places and he's kindling a fire in the hearts of men check out my bling it will make you do things oh gosh my heart hurts as well it should. Oh, man. That hurt me, too, uh, doing it. I, I, I... <laughs> uh, yeah, we should probably end this before we say, before you say something I'm terrible. Going to, I, I am the antithesis of his ring. <laughs> <laughs> You've put out the fire in my heart. Um, all right. Well, good. So we're going to move on. We're actually going to finish book three on the next cast. It'll be four chapters, really quick-moving chapters. It's only like 60 pages or something in the version that I'm reading. It really finishes? Wow. Yeah. So we're going to finish uh, this particular storyline in, in The Two Towers and then move on to Frodo and Sam. I'm really excited to get to those. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's take our victory and uh, head book. over to book three. Book three. Not book four. Um, we're going to head over to Isengard and uh, enjoy our spoils. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.